Hello and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist and life coach with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hello, Anita. Welcome back. Hi, Terry. Nice to be here. Nice to see you. Starting this month for the first time since 2005 when it began, instead of having to dial that 11-digit phone number to reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in the United States, you can now dial 988 Nice. which is a variation of 911, to reach a trained mental health crisis counselor. The free and confidential service is going to be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Excellent. It is a long anticipated change. And I think it's really exciting because even as someone who regularly recites and posts the lifeline number, I am fairly certain that in a crisis situation, I would be really challenged to remember 1-800-273-8255 and wonder if I, in certain circumstances and certain mindsets, be able to remember my own phone number. So I think that 988 is a great idea. It is easy to remember, and it is certainly doable in a crisis state. Absolutely. Now, there are some concerns that even with this easier to remember, and hopefully well publicized number, um, in combination with the increased need that we're seeing for mental health support since the pandemic, um, it's possible that the need could overwhelm the system. I was just reading this morning an article that that had that as a concern, but it, it will become clear in the weeks and the months ahead whether that happens. Today, we just want to alert or remind people of the number change and to assure you that there is reliable and overwhelming research available that proves that making that call 988 can actually help in significant, lasting, and often life-saving ways. We've actually done a number of episodes with people who have reached out to the Lifeline and been able to talk through what was going on in their lives and in their mind and Get take those next steps to get themselves the care they needed to to survive that suicidal crisis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've even heard firsthand that it's been true. Mm-hmm. Dr. John Draper is the director of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and he is widely considered one of the leading experts in crisis intervention and hotline practices. We interviewed him first in 2018 about the need for and the value of crisis hotlines in a world where many people simply lack a support network or feel uncomfortable calling on it in a crisis. While some of the statistics may have changed since we talked, the underlying facts have not. Here now is Dr. John Draper giving his voice to depression. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a network of crisis call centers across the U.S. It's trained listeners 
answered more than two million calls in 2017 alone. That's a number we didn't expect to reach until 2019. Right now, calls are about 60% higher than they were the same time last year. And while some might hear that number and think it's alarming or sad, from Dr. Draper's perspective, it's a great start. There's over 12 million people with serious suicidal thoughts, so we're only reaching 2 million and about uh, 25% of our callers are suicidal. And that's about 500,000 a year. So we're, we have many more to go to, to be able to reach all of the people we feel like we need to reach. Now, beyond defining the scope of the need, Draper said something else really helpful and important in that answer that we want to call attention to. 25% of callers to the lifeline are suicidal. That means three of every four are not. We want to point that out because we don't want anyone waiting until they're closer to the edge to think they somehow qualify to dial the hotline. Call any time you or someone you're worried about is in distress. We Years ago, we had evaluators, uh, independent evaluators, evaluate not just um, suicidal callers to see if the work we were doing was effective, but also non-suicidal crisis callers um, and found that that uh, the service was effective both in reducing suicidal and emotional distress in suicidal callers and suicidality and emotional distress, and also found that we were effective in reducing uh, uh, all sorts of emotional distress for non-suicidal crisis callers. So it's in some ways a mental health service that's being provided free of charge for many people who are In some way, we know that many people are not going to get care, and so if this is the only care they're going to get, it's nice to know that it does actually reduce distress. It's reassuring and kind of amazing, actually, to think that you can be someplace really dark and scary, seemingly out of options, and a free phone call to a total stranger can literally change something in you. Talking with somebody is rarely going to solve the problem that's causing you distress. But the biggest thing that is that is really uh, preventing you from coping with the problem is the distress. Typically, uh, the, the prefrontal cortex goes offline, and really the kind of primitive aspects of the brain that connect to fight, flight, and freeze are activated. And, and when they're activated, our job is to re- is to help the individual feel safe, and and typically em- empathic connections where a person feels understood, they begin to feel less threatened, less scared, less anxious, and when that happens, you can actually begin to engage a more thinking individual. So so the prefrontal cortex will come back online. That's as sciencey as we're going to get. But think about it. A person in crisis who feels heard, understood, and supported can shift. We don't need magic wands and cures. We need caring connections and hope. And the Lifeline offers those 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. While certainly a lot of problems may seem insurmountable, what we know is when a person feels like they're not doing it alone, they feel like they can perhaps get through it another day and then another day after that and before you know it, 
they're feeling a lot better. In fact, what we found with the research on the lifeline is that not only does a caller feel better by the end of the call, but when they followed up with the caller three weeks later, they felt better still. Um, and I think that's just a function of the crisis state, that, that when you are really in that dark place and you feel like there's no way out, there's also nowhere else to go but up. And so when you begin to open a few lights in that darkness, um, the light spreads over time as you begin to, to come out of crisis. So uh, that's just, I think, the nature of crisis states and why it's important to have somebody connect with somebody in that moment. In addition to offering non-judgmental support and empathy, listeners also assess the nature and severity of the crisis and the level of risk. So if you ever call, expect some questions and know that it is safe and important to answer them honestly. If you're phoning a suicide hotline, then we're certainly going to ask you if you're suicidal, and and if so, if you have a plan or or um, you know a method or something like that, and and then we'll we'll help to calm you and connect you. Um, most importantly, we want to listen, um, and as we kind of listen and and then begin to collaboratively problem solve with you. That is, um, we we listen to find out what your what are the things that are that have helped you in the past, who in your life might be helpful now, what sort of activities or tools you might have available that, that can help reduce your distress when you get off the call, or others again you can contact if you're seeing a therapist talking about, you know, again, reconnecting with your therapist um, or referring you to resources certainly are things that we'll, we, we do commonly. While depression is ever eager to convince you that no one understands or cares what you're going through, that you're utterly alone and nothing but a burden to others, the person on the other end of the hotline call knows that none of that is true. The counselors have talked to a lot of people near on or across the line and they won't judge you for being there too most of the time when people are at the highest risk when they call us the very highest risk about 76 percent of the time we're able to de-escalate them collaboratively um again i think it's because most people who call us do so because they want help and and we're accustomed to dealing with people who are suicidal so we don't freak out when we talk with people who are thinking about suicide that's natural and common on our lines so uh, we're trained to help de-escalate that so tuck that knowledge away there's not much you can say that will shock a crisis line worker it's a no shame zone and the odds are very much in your favor that reaching out will truly help you or whoever you're calling for suicidal thoughts are often a way of of dealing with emotional pain that feels unimaginable and, and overwhelming, but it doesn't last forever. That's a fact, not a platitude. It's also why reaching out to your own personal support network or a hotline is so important, because the vast majority of people thinking about suicide get past the crisis alive. It's true. It's, you know, For every person that dies by suicide, there's another to about 280 people who think seriously about it but don't. And most of those people don't 
because they they find ways to get through that moment. Some feel suicidal later, but many, many people get help and get through that moment. Before we knew better, when our understanding of suicide and suicidal thoughts was the little we picked up on hushed sidelines, we assumed that a person saved from suicide would be, well, pissed. They'd decided their life was unlivable, we thought, and now, thanks to some do-gooder, they were stuck with it. But that is not the way it is. Every single attempt survivor we've spoken with, and there have been many, have said they're glad to be alive, that their past selves would not even recognize their current selves, and that the work they do or the family they have or whatever would not even exist if they had died. Even people who have literally jumped from bridges and survived have told us they had instant regret and on the way down realized they wanted to live. Honestly, So think about that if things are bad, and trust us and a whole lot of people who have been there. It is worth fighting through the suicidal crisis. Your life can and will be better than depression has you believing. Most of the people that think about suicide get through it, and it's our job, I think, as a suicide prevention community to tell those stories so your listeners know what is the pathway back to hope? How how do people get through it? And I think we need to have more stories, models, to let people know how and how often hope, healing, and help uh, are happening. After nearly 25 years in the field, Draper has learned that crisis can be something to not just get through, but to learn from. That's another way to think about it. It's an existential crisis that says, that has is the, this kind of major question, why am I living? Why, why should I go on? And in some ways, answering that question in one way or another is on the other side of, of recovery. And so what people often learn, um, and many that I've spoken to, is that it's not so much that uh, my life that needs to end, but perhaps the way I've been living my life needs to end. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many people who I've talked to have got talked to have gotten through a suicidal crisis who just say, um, you know, years later they say, "My God, I cannot believe I would have missed so many things." Hotlines, of course, are just one available resource and ways that we can support both ourselves and someone else who is in distress or crisis. Dr. Draper says it really boils down to five steps. The first is to ask, then keep them safe, be there, help them connect, and follow up. The first two steps are really just asking directly about suicide and then removing access to lethal means. So if they say that they're thinking about suicide uh, and you ask them how, and they say, I, you know, I'm thinking about pill, taking these pills or... Or, or, or shooting myself, then you would ask to ask them if I could hold on to those pills for you while you're going through this rough time, or could I hold on to your ammunition for you? Things that would just so while you're feeling scared right now and, and you're going through this tough time, I, I can hold on to this stuff for you. And again, doctors can't do that. They they can't go to the person's home typically and take their pills from them or or or. or remove the ammunition from their guns, that's something that, you know, loved ones can do. 
And the third step, a really important one, is be there. Listen, there's no therapist that can say to a person who's suicidal, I love you and you're not going to have to go through this alone. Um, uh, that's not, no one can say that like somebody who is truly in the individual's life. That's probably the most powerful suicide prevention tool is feeling like you're valued and connected to somebody in a meaningful way. That is so important to realize and keep in mind. The most powerful suicide prevention tool is to feel valued and connected. And now the last two crisis outreaches that Dr. Draper recommends. The fourth step is getting others to, to join us. You know, So it's not just between you and me. What other support persons in your life can we bring into this, um, including a therapist, including the hotline, but, but perhaps coach, clergy, friends, lovers, family, um, and then the last thing is following up with people afterwards, talking with them, you know, letting them know, hey, I'm going to call you back in, 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 you know, tomorrow or three days from now just to see how you're doing. Those are all things that we know make a difference in, in preventing suicide. I hope that this um, this number, this nine eight eight number, just rolls off people's tongues the same way that nine one one does. Um, that we just know if somebody's really struggling, this is the place that you go. You know, we get started, we get resources. Um, and what I love so much, Terry, that you said in this interview was that it was we need caring connections and we need hope, and that just having a safe space to talk about what's really making you even think about not living anymore is the thing that begins to calm your nervous system down enough to see options that you couldn't see before. So this is a place that can do it. Again, I just hope it's it's a resource that, that everybody will start to use when they need to. And we've talked to a number of people who have said that they're afraid to tell anybody when they're suicidal because the last thing they want is someone to call the police because that can escalate things for them and, and create a whole another set of concerns. These people have heard it all before. You know, I worked for just a local crisis line and I heard plenty. So it is a really good resource. And as Anita, you said, and as Dr. Draper said, you know, I do hope that people avail themselves of it. And you do not have to be actively suicidal to call. You define what a crisis is for yourself and you reach out for help when you need it. Right. And it doesn't even have to be you who's having the crisis. If somebody that you care about is, you can sit and make that call yourself or even better, make the call with them there. You know, that that really strengthens this idea that they're not alone in this and that you're a part of this, the support team and you'll even make the call for them if they don't want to make the call themselves. Yep. Put it on speakerphone. So thank yep. you again to Dr. Draper. Thank you, Anita. And we will uh, watch how this rolls out. Great. See you next week, Terry. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen. Listen.